Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. This isn't your average business podcast and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher show. Today on the James Altucher show. So what are specific techniques to get more rational? Let's talk to Steven Pinker about it, but also stay tuned for in a couple of days. I'm also going to release an episode where I test specifically Jay and my wife, Robin, to see how rational they are. And so that's coming out in a couple of days, but part two is already out today. Knock yourself out. What about something where the metrics are a little harder, like pro-life versus pro-choice? I don't know what you are, but how would you argue the other side against yourself to convince yourself that you were wrong? If you were to argue against yourself, what would the argument be? Yeah, well, I am I am a pro-choice, but on the other hand, I do, I think, I would say, you know, Unlike most of my, you know, pals, peers, members of my my clique, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a professor. I live in the the People's Republic of Cambridge, uh, although <laughs> now I'm in I'm, I'm on sabbatical in the People's Republic of Berkeley, which is even uh, probably even farther to the left. Uh, but I do recognize that the arguments that there there are arguments that. Uh, against abortion that we have to take seriously, such as that, well, gee, if it's okay, if it's the first three months, why isn't it okay after the first six months or eight months or nine months? What is it? Why uh, isn't it okay for a uh, a woman to abort a child the day before she gives birth? Uh, and if it is, then why is it not okay the day after she gives birth? Why do we call that infanticide? Uh, it's not so easy to come up with a principled reason, and uh, that that that's why I would not kind of blow off the uh, anti-abortion uh, activists by saying, well, they, they just want to put women back into the, the, the Middle Ages. They want to restrict their, their reproductive freedom. I mean, you know, some of them probably do. But it's not a trivial issue to say, where is the dividing line? And the reason is there is no dividing line. Uh, and the, the argument that I would ultimately make is, since biology doesn't give us a dividing line, the law has to, in the same way we have to, there's no day in, in which uh, someone transitions from a child to an adult, the law has to be drawn somewhere. And so we say, uh, you know, 18 year old, 18 years old for for voting, and 21 years old for drinking, and 16 years old for driving, uh, and we do our best to draw a line in this fuzzy continuum in the case of uh, age. And likewise, when it comes to being a human, it's there are fuzzy lines. 
There's no, a fertilized egg doesn't satisfy anyone's idea of a full human. And the question, when does life begin, is an impossible question, I would say. It's asking biology to provide something that it can't provide. Therefore, we humans have to figure out what, what's a line that's going to stand that doesn't, uh, isn't a slippery slope on the way to infanticide. Uh, how do we know it's not a slippery slope, or whether it is or isn't? Well, let's just look at history. We've had Roe v. Wade for, for 40 years. Has that led to the deadline for abortion creeping later and later so that uh, now there's a lobby for infanticide? Well, no, that has to happen. As it turns out, that the age of, of uh, viability seems to be reasonably firm, and that's an argument for, for uh, keeping it there. And, and so, so, okay, that was a very good, you know, uh, presentation of that. So... Given that, and given the fuzziness of so many different issues, why do you find that people irrationally hate each other if they don't agree with each other? In many yes, cases, right. not in all cases. Like, I have friends on both sides of every issue, I think. And, but so many people, it seems, just hate people who don't agree with the same 50 items that they agree with. No, it's, and that, that really is one of the biggest impediments to irrationality. It turns out if you ask, you try to find out why do people believe, you know, crazy things like that, uh, that, that, that vaccines are dangerous or that, um, uh, that, that climate change is a hoax. It has nothing to do with scientific literacy. It is uh, political tribalism. It's I'm going to believe that people, the things that are identity badges in my political coalition, and I'm going to not believe the ones that the, uh, the other side don't believe in. And we, so we use the beliefs as uh, signs of, of uh, loyalty. There is you know, kind of a tendency in all of us to, um, to sort into sects or tribes or clans or coalitions and to assume that there is natural, there's competition between them. So what's good for mine is bad, bad for the other. Probably rooted in, in uh, primitive uh, intervillage warfare when we were before we had the state and courts and, and police. Um, you think the worst of people who aren't in your social circle. We have managed with the, the, the progress of civilization to have bigger and bigger communities so that we you know, people in Massachusetts don't go to war with the people in Connecticut. Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, and, if that you know, was in I the did, news every day, like a uh, battle of Concord, <laughs> Connecticut wins. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it, it, the fact that we can have, you know, huge groups like that, like the United States of America, uh, and ultimately the, the, the globe, we do have the United Nations, we do have, you know, we are the world, we, people can slip into or out, out of uh, a kind of global human-wide uh, solidarity. And clearly what we ought to do is promote the, the, the species as our ultimate tribe. Now, that, that's not easy. People slide back into their, 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 their country, their school, their uh, family. Uh, and it's okay to switch back and forth, but when it comes to rights, when it comes to violence, when it comes to uh, treatment, then we really want to expand our moral circle, our moral tribe, so that it encompasses all of humanity. Right. So, so so on the one hand, active open-mindedness feels like a very much uh, internal effort. Okay, I'm going to recognize when I'm not being open-minded, uh, perhaps I'm feeling anger or resentment to somebody who is believes something, so maybe, I, maybe that's triggering me that I am not as open-minded as I think I am. But it seems like also there's, there's external factors as well, as you mentioned, like 
what sex am I? What political group am I in? What location am, am I in? What kind of level of education do I have? Like, how do we, that's a lot of different biases. The list goes on of different groups and subgroups groups that we're in. So that's a lot of different potential ways to affect our thinking. How can we kind of step out of all that tribalism at the micro and macro level, given that we're tribal animals? Yes, well, uh, like all of our instincts, they coexist with each other and with a uh, frontal lobes system too, as Kahneman calls it, um, reflective reasoning. So we can um, try to push back on some of our deplorable instincts if we recognize that they're not good things to indulge. That's part of the answer. The other part of the answer is that uh, none of us is virtuous enough to do that just by sheer uh, goodness or, or, or willpower. We've got to set up institutions uh, like democracy, like science, like, uh, like, like journalism, like uh, uh, where, where uh, the rules are that you don't get ahead by indulging in uh, tribalism, in uh, magical thinking, in wishful thinking, in uh, arguing from authority. The rules are that you gain points, you, 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 you get your way if you've presented persuasive arguments. Now, it's, uh, and, and the, the, the reason that that's not a pipe dream is, yeah, I want to win arguments, but at the same time, I don't want you to win arguments. I don't want some you know, other guy to win arguments if he's wrong, if you then say, well, we, we, all of us together want to win arguments, so who wins? And we say, okay, well, it, you know, if I say it's gonna, always going to be me, well, I'm not going to get you to agree to that. Uh, what will we all agree to? Well, we can all agree, whoever has the best argument, whoever's got the evidence, that guy wins, or, or, or gal. Uh, and we can therefore set up debating rules, or deliberation rules, voting rules, uh, publication rules that are more virtuous than any of us could be if we were acting alone. And we all join the club that follows those rules because that's kind of our only choice. And you know, unless we're so, you know, dominant, powerful, macho that you can just impose your way by force. If you want to join a community, you got to follow its rules and you got to set up the rules so that the winner of the argument is the one with the best argument. And so you've you've worked in academic institutions, most notably your your professor at Harvard. There's lots of instances, I don't know if this has happened at Harvard, where if if you if someone says something, and and you've been through this a little bit in in different groups you've been in, but if you say something or write something 20 years ago or 10 years ago, and some group, some people don't like what you wrote, it's a, it's almost a new thing now where people are getting fired yeah, over uh, often, offense, archeology, <laughs> you, yeah. you, you dig down for something that offends you. And uh, yeah, that's a really, into, I've never heard that phrase. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Offense, archeology span and, and, and cancel culture. Yeah. These are exact. Well, th these are, are, are precisely the opposite of the, uh, of, of rules of the game that, 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 uh, foster truth and accuracy. They're ways of punishing unpopular beliefs of intimidating people who might disagree with the, the, the current consensus. And so that would be, these are all steps in the wrong direction and ought to be you know, called out and opposed. Yeah, so so what, is there a line there? Like for instance, let's say I'm a professor of English and I firmly believe, and I write scholarly articles, and I, I firmly believe that the, that the world is flat. Uh, at what point should I be fired? 
Well, you should probably not have gotten a job in the first place just because you're, uh, given that the world isn't flat, and that's something we can say with a pretty good, strong degree of confidence, it's very unlikely that you would have mustered a good argument that the world is flat. So it's not that some things are within the realm of reasonable disagreement in the sense that the evidence is ambiguous enough that intelligent people can uh, uh, offer competing arguments. In the 21st century, the argument that the world is flat is gonna uh, really not gonna pass muster. All right, so, let's take something a little fuzzier. Like, let's say uh, I argue that uh, a baby, it's okay to uh, have an abortion an hour before birth is scheduled. And a lot of people are offended by, I'm an English professor, I have no expertise in this. And a lot of people are offended and are calling for me to be fired. Certainly there are much smaller offenses that people have been fired for. So I'm just curious, like, where the line in this has been perhaps, you know, people have stepped, you know, institutions have stepped over the line in this where people where academics who are encouraged to be, you know, skeptics, or at least free thinkers, uh, are, are being squashed a little bit. And it happens in academia, but it happens in every industry now. Yeah, no, it's, it's a genuine problem. And if it is not, uh, resolved, then it's a, a recipe for error. We're going to believe a lot of false things if people are not allowed to uh, disagree without losing the fear of losing their job. Uh, so the uh, at the same time you have to make because this, sometimes the minority is, is sometimes the majority is wrong. Yeah, sometimes the majority is wrong. Uh, you know, a, a lot of the time because that's how how knowledge grows. Uh, not everything that we believe is right, and almost by definition, if we learn something, it's because someone points something out that uh, that disagrees with the current consensus. That's why you need freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of inquiry. Uh, otherwise, we are going to be locked into mistakes. And we're in danger of that if we have a regime where if you disagree with the majority, you get uh, uh, punished. That having been said, you do have to make uh, distinctions on the basis of, of quality, such as we don't have to give tenure to the professor of geophysics who argues for, for a flat Earth. Um, almost certainly, I don't know, maybe we're all wrong. Maybe the Earth is flat. Probably not. Uh, and, and you can't spend all of your time debating every hypothesis, no matter how, how crazy, you've got to have the goods, ha have an argument, and it's perfectly legitimate not to hire a, a flat earth geologist, especially if the only thing that he has going for him is uh, scripture or totally bogus arguments, like that the, uh, the window of the airplane distorts the, the, the view and makes it, makes it look like the, 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 the earth is curved. Uh, you can show that that's just wrong. Um, and so, and granted, there are gray areas. Sometimes you, and, and in, the problem is that a lot, uh, in a lot of cases, people do dismiss arguments by saying that they don't stand up to intellectual quality, whereas in reality, they just don't like the conclusion. So you've got to expose that and say, well, hey, that's, uh, there actually is nothing wrong with this argument other than the fact that you don't like the conclusion. So you shouldn't use that to, um, uh, to, to, to suppress this guy. Uh, but the, the, the ideal, the aspiration is you allow in arguments that have been defended according to the, 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 the rules that promote truth, such as fact-checking, such as um, surviving peer review, such as uh, submitting themselves to empirical tests that turn out the right way, such as consistency with what data that, that we have, realizing that uh, nothing is ever a guarantee because none of us are angels. We, we might get locked into wrong beliefs, but to try to set up the rules of 
uh, arguing and hiring and promoting so that we don't get locked into false beliefs. So that if something that we believe is wrong, there will be a way for someone to show it. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldercher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. 
hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use HIMSS from now Not on. Not that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's hims.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. I don't know if you made the connection directly in the book, but it's implied rationality is very much linked to creativity because if you're truly rational, you're aware of things like cognitive biases and of probability and so on. So you're aware that, like you just said, sometimes you might be wrong or that we don't know everything. So when, as an example, when Picasso comes out with cubism, he's basically saying, and other people are saying, that's not art. It's not a picture of anything. He's basically saying that, well, you can represent things in other ways than purely realistic. This is another way of representing things. And so he, he stays within the current framework, but expands the def definition of it so that it, his paintings are still rational within that framework. And it seems like that's underlies rationality that you, you, you pick a framework, but you're able, it's a, it's a broad enough one that you're able to tweak it and ex and expand the definition of it in ways that are acceptable so that you could then be come up with something new so that like you say the majority is not always right in fact it's often wrong and the minority can have a voice if we understand rationality yeah i i, I think that that's right and and uh, there is a sense in which even uh artists even the most creative artists set themselves goals and and um, use their rational faculties to uh, attain those goals, and sometimes the goal is expand the boundaries of of, of uh, the, the current genre of art. To uh, uh, how do I come up with something that people will still recognize as art, but different from what they're used to? And that boundary can change, and then people, very smart people, can try to figure out how to change it. Yeah. So again, I wonder, given the importance of rationality, and given the basic framework, like understanding logic, understanding probability, understanding your cognitive biases, understanding the effect of the groups, ha the groups around you have on you. 
again, I wonder, other than active open-mindedness and maybe identifying the groups you're in and that you succumb to occasionally in your thinking, what are other ways to exercise my rationality muscle? Yeah. I would add also that getting eight hours of sleep, oddly, <laughs> will make you more rational. Well, that's true. And that is certainly just sheer you know, have brain power, having a brain that works well. Uh, some, some of us are, are, are born uh, smarter than others, uh, but all of us can make ourselves smarter by you know, nourishing ourselves well and exercising and getting a good night's sleep so that at least the brain is working at full capacity. That's not enough to guarantee rationality because you could apply your brain power to dubious goals, uh, you know, like just winning an argument regardless of whether you're right or not. But I think the answer, you know, part of the answer is you should uh, cultivate uh, active open-mindedness as a, as a uh, virtue. And you know, none of us are, are perfect, none of us are angels, but we do try to become better. And that's one of the ways in which we can try to become better. Number two, we should uh, learn, be, become aware of the tools of rationality that have been uh, invented over the centuries. And that that's you know what I try to, to do in a uh, a, a gentle way in rationality. I have chapters on on tools of thinking like logic and probability and uh, correlation and causation and rational choice theory. And the third is that we should implement rules in our communities of discourse of, of, of uh, our, our workplace, our uh, journalistic institutions, in academia, in our clubs, in our debates, where the, the rules. Uh, reward virtues like supporting arguments with evidence, not, not uh, appealing to authority, not insulting someone as a way of, uh, of, of refuting their arguments, and so on. They should be uh, a kind of part of our everyday uh, etiquette uh, in the same way that uh, we no longer make uh, ethnic jokes or, or, or gay jokes the way people did when I was a kid. We don't smoke in 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 uh, in, in public uh, enclosed spaces and uh, as we used to. So just sort of norms and etiquette can change. Uh, and and whenever we join a an actual institution like a university, like a newspaper, uh, like a, um, a, a a parliament, then uh, those rules should be implemented. That uh, you can't just shut someone down. You can't just um, uh, shut them up. Uh, you are responsible for supporting your arguments with evidence and so on. You know, you mentioned probability and logic, and uh, these things aren't really taught in grade school. Let's say first through 12th grade. Instead, we learn in math, at least in trigonometry, goes into, you know, algebra goes into geometry, trigonometry, calculus one, calculus two, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you think, like, it seems like all through school, even much of college, we're just absorbing information instead of discovering new things. So like, why don't you think statistics or probability are taught or more philosophical ways of thinking as opposed to specific ways of thinking? It's, it's a really good question. And uh, it's actually been decades since scientists and scientific thinkers have called for probability to be a part of the curriculum. H.G. Wells made that argument back in the 1940s. And uh, you really can't defend, if, if there are only so many hours in the school day, the idea of teaching trigonometry instead of probability is just insane. Uh, I have nothing against trigonometry. I've used trigonometry in my work and in my life. Uh, all things being equal, it's better to know trigonometry than not know trigonometry. But on the other hand, you can't know everything. And if you're going to prioritize knowledge, as you must, 
then one should have arguments as to what is more fundamental. And certainly probability, critical thinking, logic, even spotting cognitive fallacies to avoid them seems to be pretty foundational in the sense that lots of other things depend on it. Just as, you know, why do you teach reading and writing? Well, uh, it's kind of obvious why that's one of the first things you teach, namely without those you can't learn anything else. Uh, and the same argument can be made for some of the tools of critical thinking. That is, you can't really understand uh, history or politics or economics without some sense of, of uh, probability, which includes, as all education should include, should not just be um, showing people the right way to do things and, and giving them tools, but also why they need them. Namely, left to your own devices, here are some fallacies that you're going to slip into. This uh, little trick, this little formula is a way that you can climb out of that, uh, that, 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 that limitation, that fallacy, that bias. I mean, it's always better to know why you need something, such as what kind of blunders will you make if you don't have it. So given that in, in our society, you know, there's a lot of intelligent people, you're, you're, you know, you've written all these amazing books. I think it was in 2004, you were listed in the Time Magazine, had you the, one of the hundred most influential people around, which by the way, I love these lists, even if they don't mean much, but what, <laughs> right. how, what did you think when you were, when they called you and said, you're one of the hundred most influential people on the planet? What did you oh, think I to was, yourself? I, I mean, I was, you know, I, 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 I'm human. I was delighted. It was a nice, yeah. uh, uh, you know, a lot of nice, not, a lot of not so nice things happen to each of us every day. So I certainly savor the uh, rare moments when something good happens. So let's say you were transported to the year 912 AD in England. So that everyone's speaking rough English. You could roughly understand people. How would you avoid getting killed? Like what value would you bring given <laughs> all of your knowledge and intelligence and everything you've done? What, what would you do to help out society and to survive? Because first people would be skeptical of you. What would you do if you were just suddenly teleported to 912 AD? I mean, just as a, as a practical matter, just thinking, oh my yeah. God, here I am in the Middle Ages. I, I got to deal yeah. with it. What am I? Prove you yourself. Know, prove yourself. I, you know, uh, they, uh, well, 912 AD, my God. Uh, so you can't predict yeah. the future because I have no idea what happened in like 915 AD or anything like right, that. Right, right, right. You know, I, I, I suspect I might have gravitated toward toward the church just because that's where the illiterate people ended up. Uh, hmm. That's a good, the, no one's given that answer. Yeah, right. Uh, not that I, you know, I'm, I'm a, uh, an atheist. I don't believe in, you know, God or, or in following religious dogma. But uh, given the world, you know, what will be the opportunities for someone who likes to think, someone who likes to read? Back then, there weren't a whole lot of opportunities. There weren't a whole lot of universities, if any. Probably not. I think the first one in Bologna came, came even later than, than the 10th century. So to make do, well, they, they were, I mean, they certainly were philosophical thinkers and they weren't, I guess they weren't all associated with churches. I would look for a niche of, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I don't know how you, you, can, you can make a living as a, as a thinker back in the 10th century. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you can, or if you have to just be like a knight or something, but, uh, or you have to know how to make shoes. But, yeah. but anyway, uh, Steven Pinker, I really enjoyed the book. I'm going to read the, the title again. I like the subtitle as well. Rationality, what it is, why it seems scarce, and why it matters. And it definitely matters. We've seen it most of all. Uh, well, again, I say this past year, but probably every year they say this past year was the most important year ever. So <laughs> probably rationality has always been as important as it was this past year. 
I really do agree that reading this could help you understand how to face the issues in your life a lot better. Just thinking rationally, being more open-minded, understanding all the concepts you talk about and, and you present in a very step-by-step -step fashion. I think someone should make almost a rationality workbook. Like I love the puzzles you have almost throughout the book, but particularly in the beginning where, you know, many majority of people don't really get these answers right for various reasons. And you could get deeper and deeper. Like you could almost make a workbook where you have very pivotal issues and encourage people to write strong arguments on both sides and not just logic puzzles or probability puzzles or game theory puzzles, but then some of these more difficult active open-mindedness puzzles to exercise the rationality muscle. But anyway, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I love all your books. People should not only read this one, please read The Better Angels of Our Nature. Read all your books, but The Better Angels of Our Nature, Enlightenment Now, these are such important books to read, to understand society and, and history in general. And uh, once again, uh, Stephen, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been great. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.